While the words ricocheted in the Grand Dome, Hashim kept his head low and said a silent prayer asking for mercy like he had done thousands of times since realizing he was gay. My name is Henrik Vilenius and I'm the author of the Rise Up Trilogy, a young adult coming-of-age story about Hashim, Alex and Marian confronting real-life issues like climate change, corrupt politics, animal cruelty and racial and gender equity. This weekly serialized audiobook podcast is narrated by Scott Summers. Father grabbed big plates from the dishwasher, stacked them up, and slipped them neatly into their place between the bread plates and the soup bowls. Ten days of household chores had done him good. Even the apron he was wearing for the second day in a row was squeaky clean. Cooking, cleaning up, vacuuming, mopping the floors, scrubbing the toilets, and dusting the bookshelves had proven to be all rather therapeutic. Next, Father entered the bedroom and proceeded to pick up the used plates and glasses and put them on a tray as his wife lay on the bed, snoring lightly. Next in line as the target of his tidying up maneuver were the various pieces of clothing strewn on the floor and on the chairs. As he was picking up a nightgown, he happened to glance at his wife through a mirror and saw her observing him under half-closed eyes. Nonetheless, she soon shut her eyes again and feigned sleeping, adding sounds of wheezing and an occasional snore, like a heroine from those Egyptian soaps he loved so much. Sitting down on the bed, he was overcome by tightness in his throat. Hashim was leaving the following day, and his wife hadn't indicated in any way that she would like to see their son before the departure. He tried to swallow several times to make the lump go away, but to no avail. Then he reached out to tuck her in. However, the retreating blanket revealed her hand clutching the framed photograph of their son that used to be on the bedside table. Experiencing an unexpected release of tension in his body, his eyes welled up. Then he noticed his wife looking at him, her shoulders trembling slightly as tears ran down her cheek. Father grabbed her hand and recited from the Quran, Do not despair of the mercy of God, for God forgives all sins for he is oft forgiving, most merciful. He kissed his wife on the forehead as her sobbing turned into crying, for he is oft forgiving, most merciful. Hashim put down his phone and sighed. My mom doesn't want to see me. Placing a hand on his heart, he felt it shrinking. They were supposed to leave the following day, but how could he do that without mom's blessing? Alex stopped packing and looked up. Did she explicitly say so? Hashim rubbed his neck. According to his father, mom still spent her days in her bedroom watching Arab soap operas. That's what she did when she was upset. And when she wasn't upset. The only difference was that, in the latter case, she would only indulge in the Egyptian ones. But now, she was watching them all across the board from any Arab country. Even the Bedouin soap operas filmed outdoors in Jordan. With authentic props and with actors speaking a native dialect, she didn't quite understand. Early on, Hashim had come to realize that his mother was addicted to melodrama. It ran in the blood. Being an uneducated Arab woman in modern-day America wasn't easy. Of course, she had her limited social circle, housewives like her, and in recent years, the mosque had started to play a bigger role in her life. She clung to the past and was appalled by the world around her the world she didn't know and had contact with 
only through her husband or her son. The soaps were connecting her to the old world, although sometimes it didn't share the same values as her orthodox faith. However, it didn't matter much, because both touched her heart and gave her life some kind of meaning, despite the contradictions. The Muslim Brotherhood was very influential in the village where Mom was born and had spent her childhood. There, it offered a wide range of important social services, from discounted food to medical care and education. This religious, political, and social movement shared the same kind of back-to-the-roots fervor as Haji Ali and his business associates in the Gulf. Hashim felt sorry for his mother. Now he had turned his back on her beliefs, but she was still his mother no matter what, and he could never give up on her. He only had to find another way to reach her, to find his way back to her heart. With an alert gaze, Hashim said, Now or never. Alex nodded. There's no next time. He grabbed the bike key from the table and hurled them through the air. Hashim caught them by the door and rushed out. Hashim raced down the street, his knuckles white from squeezing the handlebars. Although Hashim lived only a ten-minute ride from Alex, it felt like an hour. What if his mother wouldn't change her mind? What if she disowned him a second time? He felt he had let himself descend into a false sense of security. His father's reaction mirrored his worldview, which was all-embracing, tolerant, and non-judgmental, whereas his mother was the polar opposite. As long as she was possessed by anger, disgust, and disappointment, it would be very hard to change her heart. Rounding the corner, Hashim stopped to check his parents' bedroom window on the 10th floor. Bluish light from the TV emanated through the gaps in the heavy curtains. Hashim locked the bike to a railing and marched to the door. As he got out of the elevator, he said a silent prayer and shoved the key into the lock. The lights in the corridor were dimmed. Then, his father appeared from the study in pajamas and nodded unsurprised to see Hashim. They didn't exchange any words, and Dad retreated to his room. Hashim had no plan of action. He wasn't going to burst into the bedroom and demand his mother's forgiveness. He knew it would never work. He was going to submit to God's will, whatever it was. Hence, he sat down in front of his mother's bedroom to wait. The first rays of rising sun shone through the cracks of heavy curtains, as mother sat on an armchair in her bedroom, browsing the Quran until she found the verses she was looking for. Her hands trembling from the excitement, she read to herself in Arabic, It is he who brings people to life and will restore them to life again. And he is the most forgiving, the most loving, the glorious Lord of the throne. He does whatever he will. With a gleam in her eyes, she repeated, the most forgiving, the most loving. And she bounced up and looked around her messy bedroom. After pulling the curtains, she opened the windows, made the bed, and put things in their place. Then she called for a cab. It was a short ride to the mosque, which she spent praying in silence. I know you are there, Allah. I know you see my tears. I know you hear my prayers. I know you are testing me. And all I ask from you is to strengthen Haji Ali so I can handle the struggles in life and have patience. I love you, my lord. Please keep my family safe. Amen. As she arrived, 
first people were pouring out after the morning prayers. She waited patiently until she saw Haji Ali coming out before she got off the cab. With her head bowed, she walked up to his gleaming Mercedes SUV that was ready to whisk him to his nearby office by his chauffeur. Soon after, she could smell Haji Ali's perfumed presence and heard him say, So, shall we set a new date for the engagement? Her body froze and no words came out. What? I, mother said, bowing her head even more. Haji Ali stared down on her, moving his eyebrows up and down. Speak up, woman. I can't hear you. There will be no engagement. Then why are you wasting my time? Mother lifted her head, but there was no kindness or patience in his small, cold eyes. And at that moment, she realized that there seldom was, unlike with Haji Khalil. Thus, there was nothing here for her or for her family. So she turned around and marched back to her waiting cab. Leaning back on her seat, a slow smile worked its way across her face and into her eyes at the unexpected release of all her inner tension. Tears welled up as she thanked Allah, he who knows best. Instead of getting what she asked for, she had been given what she needed. Hashim cracked open his eyes, his cheek resting on a soft carpet. The door in front of him was open, and he could see his parents' bedroom bathed in the bright morning light. The heavy curtains had been opened, and the bed was made. His ears picked up noise in the opposite direction. He sat upright and listened to the sizzling, stirring, and clunking coming from the kitchen. Hashim didn't need his nose to confirm what was happening. Fighting the urge to rush to his mother, Hashim opted first to clean himself up in the bathroom. He took his time to brush his teeth and wash his face. With a fresh, iron shirt, he entered the kitchen as mom was frying fava beans and eggs. Without turning around to face him, she said, Sit down. He bit his lip and kept his cool, sliding onto the seat. Mom took a casserole dish out of the oven and started piling up food on a plate. Two pieces of pita bread, six falafels, an ample serving of hummus, tomato salad, a kebab, two eggs sunny side up, and some fava beans. Without looking him in the eye, she placed the plate in front of him and returned to her station. A spoonful of hummus had never tasted so good. It almost made him cry. He had thought he would never get to taste it again. His mother's hummus was definitely the best in the world. Having lost several pounds in the last ten days, he had an appetite for the first time since the night she threw him out. He dug in. It was time to regain all those lost calories. Don't just stand there. Sit down, Mom said, and Hashim turned to look at his father, who was watching him quietly by the doorway. As she grabbed Hashim's empty plate and started piling it up again, Dad raised an eyebrow in surprise. But Mom chose to ignore it. So, Dad just shrugged and sat down next to Hashim. Epilogue A lot of waterworks that day. We had the whole gang seeing us off at the airport. When Mom grabbed Alex in a bear hug and asked him to look after me, I couldn't hold it in any longer. I could just feel how worried she had been for all these years, fearing that her son was on a fast track to hell. Where she grew up, the concept of homosexuality didn't exist. I mean, I'm sure some local men slept with other men, 
but they were certainly keeping it deeply hidden from the fear of being shamed and excommunicated. And she was all alone with these fears, as my father couldn't relate to them. Coming from a well-educated world of cosmopolitan Cairo, where these questions were not a matter of life and death. Anyway, who wants to have their son go to hell? So, she fought tooth and nail to keep me straight. How can I blame her for that? The first week in New York, I stayed with Alex in his aunt's house in Queens. I've never met her before, but right from the start, I felt that she took me in like I was part of the family. However, already on the second week, I moved to the dorm as it is only a walking distance away from the university. Although especially on the weekends, I still often crash at Alex's attic room. Soon after our move, Alex found a job waiting tables in a vegan restaurant right down the street. Miriam was so excited about it. She thinks that Alex is ready to convert, when in fact, he already has a few weeks ago. He just doesn't want her to know it yet. I bet it's because he's afraid of backlash from Miriam, if it doesn't last. The delay is good for me, because then she won't turn up the heat on me yet. I don't want to complicate my mom's life more than I already have this year by suddenly switching to a plant-based diet. I joined the Muslim LGBTQ plus group on campus. Many of my fellow members are not out to their folks, so it made me extra proud to be able to introduce my father to the group when he came to town for a medical conference. By the way, they've gone back to Haji Khalil, praying every Friday in the basement of a local synagogue, of all places until their congregation has enough funds to find their own place. An interesting side note, it turns out that Haji Khalil belongs to the Mevlevi order that was founded by Rumi himself. I've been here for three months now, and for some strange reason, I feel that I've always lived here. Of course, I miss my parents and friends back home, but this is where my life is at, for now and for the foreseeable future. This afternoon, we all went to a Christmas concert in a church, where Alex's mother used to go with her sister when they were kids. This was the first time I ever stepped into a Christian house of worship. When I sat there between my two best friends, listening to these unfamiliar yet graceful songs praising Prophet Jesus and our common God, instead of unease, I felt immense gratitude. In the dim light with the perfectly crafted arches way above, I thought that it didn't really matter if you call him Yahweh, Allah, or the Father. But if you follow his voice in your heart, he'll be looking after you. Ready to catch you if you fall. The End Catch You If You Fall by Henrik Willenis Narrated by Scott Summers Thank you for listening to the Rise Up Trilogy podcast. For more information, go to my website henrikvilenius.com. <laughs>